And welcome back to another episode of Locked On Chiefs. I am Chris Clark. He is Mark Schofield. Today, we're going to be talking about Patrick Mahomes, his performance in the playoffs, Super Bowl, and what he can really work on headed into 2023 today on Locked On Chiefs. From the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, this is the Locked On Chiefs podcast. Thank you for always making Locked on Chiefs your first listen of the day. Don't forget, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube as well. I am your host, Chris Clark. You can find me at Chris at Chiefs Corner, Chris Clark NFL, a couple of different places. Uh, and I did found Chiefs Corner. This is Mark Schofield. Uh, we are going to be talking about Patrick Mahomes today. And thank you for making Locked on Podcast Network your first listen. Go check out another show, Locked on NFL. Uh, and... Locked On Podcast Network is where you can get your team every day. Mark, there's a ton to talk about when we get into Patrick Mahomes and his performance in the playoffs and the Super Bowl and really what it means for his future. Yeah, there is, Chris. It's great to be here with you. Um, You know, at some point, I think we'll run out of ways to sort of describe Patrick Mahomes. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, but I feel like we're getting close because, you know, and getting ready for the show, it's like, how many different ways can you say this guy is fantastic? I mean, I kind of think that's where we're at with him. And I think certainly what stands out about the playoff run and the Super Bowl run last year is doing it while banged up, you know, doing it while hurt. And, you know, for the quarterback position, people obviously think upper body and arm in terms of injuries that will be a problem for you. But lower leg injuries are a difficult problem for quarterbacks to overcome as well. And he was able to do that. And part of the way he was able to do that is his incredible ability to generate velocity from any throw and platform, even with one banged up ankle. And so, you know, he's a fantastic talent. I mean, like I said, we're, we're going to at some point run out of ways and superlatives uh, to describe him. Um, maybe we're not there yet, but that day's coming. Yeah, and I'm glad you actually said that word. That was the one I was thinking exactly, superlatives to describe him. Uh, and, and it's really, I think the thing that sticks out to me is, you know, you talk about him being able to perform the way he did in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl on that ankle. But then you also think back, maybe what made him be able to do that as well as he was is he didn't have great technique coming into the NFL. He learned to play without that technique. I'm not saying that's a great thing, but it may have actually helped him this year. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point, Chris. And it's a fascinating topic to sort of think about, like, on the bigger picture. Because, you know, I wrote this a a couple of combines ago. Are we getting to a point in the sort of quarterback evaluation world where not that baseball backgrounds are prerequisite to play in the position, but you're seeing more quarterbacks come into the league, and obviously the Mahomes is among them, that have that baseball background and that ability to make throws from varied platforms. And I know you remember the Mahomes evaluation and the idea that his mechanics are going to be a hindrance and they're going to prevent him from playing the position at a high level. You know, But that's around the time when I came up with the idea that mechanics don't matter until they matter, right? If you're getting the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, I don't care how you do it. Like, you're not getting style points. You know, it doesn't have to look perfect. You know, but if you're not getting it there and it's because of mechanics, then that's when the mechanics matter. Mahomes, he gets the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. It it, it might not be teaching tape, at least how we used to think of teaching tape, but it might become teaching tape down the road. We might get to a point where, and we're seeing this in every sort of evaluation cycle since then, 
you know, the ability to make off-platform throws, to generate velocity from different arm angles, from different throwing platforms, to be able to throw when everything isn't perfect is a big part of playing in the NFL today. Like you're going to face pressure. You're going to have guys in your face. You're going to be unable to step in th- throws. You're going to have an edge rusher in your face, so you're going to have to be able to fit that throw around them. And Mahomes' ability to do that at college, while it was looked at as a negative coming out, now it's almost like a prerequisite to play in the position. So I think you're right in that, you know, the fact that he was able to do that coming out and while it was viewed as a negative at the time was a big reason that we was able to play at such a level with that injury because he doesn't need to have everything perfect. He doesn't need to have perfect feet and, you know, a stable base under him to make throws with high velocity. He can do it with one foot. He can do it with no feet. He could do it from any arm angle. And that's, again, part of what makes him incredible to watch. Well, and you talk about it. I mean, you know, just like you said, he can throw, he can make any throw that he needs to without the right mechanics, but he is better with the right mechanics. So it's not that he, it's not that there's not a noticeable difference. There is, but it's that he can gut it out and he can make it work when he has to because he can't have the mechanics that I think makes him so special. And I think, you know, you look at his performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, he goes in a locker room and, and I think, I've been watching quarterback, you know, the series on Netflix. And one of the things that really stood out to me about him in the Jacksonville game was he went in, he was pissed off and I get all that, but he goes in and he comes back out and he's on the sideline when Chad Haney's doing his long drive. And you get to see a different side of him than you normally get to see because he's sitting there cheering on his guy and cheering on his team. And I'm not saying he doesn't do that for defense, but, he's usually out there when it's the offense. So it's just a different side of him that you get to see. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was an incredible moment, both, you know, watching it when it happened and then certainly in the Netflix show. And I I think, you know, that speaks to the leader that he's become, you know, and I I say this all the time that the quarterback is the ultimate leadership position in, in all of sports. I mean, you've got, when you walk into the huddle, 10 sets of eyes that are looking at you that are dependent on you that are waiting for you to lead them and it's not just a huddle to whistle proposition you know being a leader as a quarterback starts in the meeting rooms on monday morning it continues throughout the week of practice and it certainly matters on the sidelines and you can envision a scenario where a quarterback a starting quarterback gets hurt in a playoff game and sort of goes into a show or stays in the locker room, or doesn't come out, or if he's out on the sideline but his backup is leading the drive, he's sitting on the bench or doing something else instead of what Mahomes was doing in that moment, which was you know, showing to the rest of the team, really, that, like, look, we're still in this. Like, you know, just because I'm sitting here right now, it doesn't mean, you know, that all is lost. Like, we've got a guy out there in Chad that's leading us right now, we're going to pull for him right now. I'm going to pull for him right now. We're all going to be behind him right now. I'll be back on the field soon enough, believe me. But in this moment, we need this drive. And let's not forget, that was a critical drive in that game. I mean, they had to go yards. almost, like, like you said, 97 yards. <laughs> if they incredible. go three and out to start that, and Jacksonville scores, like you could, you mm-hmm. could just imagine what the what the vibe would have been in that building, what the vibe would have been on that sideline. Oh, Jacksonville's in this game, and now we're kind of lost without Mahomes. Instead, they go right down the field in a critical moment in a massive, massive drive for that team. And so, yeah, I thought that was a, a big moment for Mahomes from that leadership perspective, and it was a big moment for the Chiefs in terms of not just that game, but ultimately their playoff and Super Bowl run. Yeah. And then you look at the Cincinnati game and you watch how he got it out. And, and the talk going into that game is he's not going to be normal. He can't 
nobody could play on a high ankle sprain after his been you know after a week off or I guess it was eight days at that time because I think they played against Jacksonville on a Saturday and then he goes in and he does what against what he does against Cincinnati and, he, and you know he doesn't necessarily re-aggravate it but I'm sure he there were moments where it hurt a little bit more than others but he still got it out. He still showed that he was able to move the team and really get them in position. And then you look at the play at the very end of the game where he yeah. decides on a third down that he's got to make a run and runs around the end and, and you know, forget about the penalty. I mean, that was something that was completely different. But the ability to take that game over at the very end and go get the yards that were needed, it's just impressive to watch. Absolutely. And – you know, in a way, it also speaks to the leadership part of playing the position because yep. if you're a defensive player watching that, if you're, you know, a backup lineman or whomever, one of the 53 on the sideline, and you see Mahomes in that moment, put it all on the line, put the body on the line like he did. I mean, it could not have felt good to do that, to play in that game. You're going to want to make plays for that guy the next time you get a chance. You're going to want to go out there and do your job a little bit better because you see what he's doing. And, you know, like you said, it could not have been comfortable to do that. It could have not been comfortable to go up against that. Because, you know, remember the talk going into that game was he's going to be a statue back there. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to move. You know, the Bengals got to him for three sacks in that game, too. It was the only three sacks he got in the entire postseason, I believe. And he was still able at the end of that game to find a way to win. And another incredibly impressive performance. And, again, it's that aspirational inspirational part of being a quarterback of being a leader and again it's more than the rah-rah guy sometimes you lead by example and you'd have to imagine that for the rest of that team going into the Super Bowl after that seeing what Mahomes had done and again made them want to raise their play because look if he's doing that for me I gotta be there for them when I can yeah absolutely and we're going to talk about the Super Bowl uh, here in just a second but I want to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks, and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to be the first home run in any game. All on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. All right, Mark. So you kind of started to talk about the Super Bowl right before we went to break. Let's get into that because you watched that game and obviously there's a lot of talk out of Philadelphia about how the, you know, the field was trash and that really got their pass rush, but it wasn't just the field. I mean, you can say what you want about the pass rushers not being able to get there and the chiefs offensive line, but Mahomes was still able to move around for much of that game. He was able to shift just enough. It's not it, one of the things Tom Brady did and it drove people crazy. The most was he wasn't mobile. He couldn't get around. Mahomes is a mobile guy generally. But in that game, especially early on, and even at, at the later stages after he got hurt again, he was moving around in the pocket just enough, being enough like Brady in that aspect and having that ability to just kind of shift and move as he needs to in the pocket to be able to get the throws off. 
Yeah, and, and you know, I, I've talked a lot in the past about how there's like a scale of mobility. Like you have guys at one end, like Lamar and Kyler Murray, for example, that are your ultimately mobile quarterbacks. They, they will make people miss in space that are game changers with that their athleticism. And then sort of at the other end, you have the guys like Brady that I still considered a mobile quarterback, but it was just very different. It was more footwork and feel and creating space. And, you know, Brady had some runs in his career. He had one on a fourth down against Kansas City. It was last year in New England. But he's not going to be a threat with his legs. It's more he's extending his plays and he's creating space and he's doing just enough to give himself an opportunity to get off a throw. And you saw some of that, like you said, Chris, in the Super Bowl from Mahomes because, you know, and the, the whole field surface argument, both teams were playing on it. Like, yeah. and if it's a slippery field surface and you've got a banged up right ankle, like it's, it's going to be difficult for you too. And that's why, you know, you probably saw more of Mahomes just sort of creating space and making people miss and things like that. But also had 26 rushing yards on the, the game's final drive. I mean, he found ways to, again, deliver and i think what also stands out is up against that pass rush up against that defense a defense which had been very good he found a way to come back you know after trailing at halftime didn't turn the ball over which i thought was also very impressive and and you know to to do that on that stage against that team another supremely impressive performance yeah and you know you talk about the last drive where he had those 26 rushing yards Let's not forget, he re-injured his ankle getting ready to go into halftime. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't near as severe as the last one, but it looked like he was still in a lot of pain when he came off that field. And he was still able to go out there and gut it out and give his team everything he had. But the thing that impressed me the most, and you kind of said this yourself, you look at what he did in the first half, and then you look at the second half adjustments the Chiefs made and what he was able to get done in the second half where they basically scored on every single drive. And don't get me wrong, there, you know, the punt return by Tony was great. That put them in field position to get quick points. And, and I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But it was Andy Reid's ability and Patrick Mahomes' ability to deliver the ball when Reid was making the play calls. You look at some of the play calls that scored him touchdowns in the second half. Corndog got him two touchdowns where I don't know that there was any play within 10 yards of the guy that was catching the ball. Now, all Mahomes has to do is not make is not miss the easy throw, which okay, great. Andy Reid made that play call. But it was still all the different things that he was able to get done in that game to get him to a point where they could be even in the game late and where that run at the very end could mean as much as it did. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think what's interesting is, you know, you look at some like you, you mentioned corn dog shuttle and some of the other plays at the end of that game. Like I think and I know we're going to talk about 23 in, in the last segment, but. This is where you might see, or at least this is a part of the Chiefs going into this season that you might want to keep an eye on. It's some of the play designs and Eric Bieniemy's influence on those. You know, he had a role in, you know, Corn Dog and some of the other play designs we've seen. He found, you know, sort of the Eagles like end zone, red zone, motion rules and ways to break them. And I think that's going to be something to certainly keep an eye on. Now, again, you still have Andy Reid you know, one of the great play callers, play designers of all time. And as we've known going into the Netflix show, and as we've certainly learned even more in the Netflix show, look, he's going to take input from Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey and other players. Like if they come to him with a play concept that they want to run and he thinks it can work, it's going to get into the call sheet. And so 
you know, I, I think they will still have creativity to this offense, you know, in the days and weeks and months and years to come. But that's going to be something to keep an eye on because, like you mentioned, you know, they broke Philadelphia's motion coverage rules. Like those guys were wide open. Mahomes still had to make the throws, but they had to get to that point of the field to be able to call those plays. Like it, it, the, the punt return was certainly part of that, but they still had to execute in the sort of open areas of the field, the 20 to the 20, to get themselves into a position where they could then break those rules thanks to some of the things that Eric Bieniemy had learned and figured out and put into the call sheet. And so you know, I'll be keeping an eye on you know creativity from this offense next season, but Mahomes still had to make the throws to get them there. He had still had to make the plays to get them there. They still had to have the the guts, I guess, to call some of those designs. Right. Um, but they've never been shy on guts. You know, this this coaching staff, this team has never been shy about things like that. And I don't expect that, that to slow down anytime soon. Well, and how much does it ingratiate yourself as a coach to the players when you actually take their input? I, I mean, that that's that's huge. I mean, in, in my you know, 13 years of playing quarterback, again, as I remind people, division three is not the NFL. I never had a coach take a suggestion and put it in the play sheet. Like never. Um, yeah. and, and when you're, you know, playing for somebody like Andy Reid, who is obviously a, an offensive genius, and he's willing to take that input and he's willing to use it and call that stuff in a moment like that. I mean, and, and you can see that in some of you know the the other coaches that have coached for him. I mean. Doug Peterson, Philly special. I yep. mean, when Nick Foles comes over on fourth down in the Super Bowl and says, hey, let's run a trick play right before halftime. It's like, yeah, sure. I mean, that that's going to earn you your stripes as a coach with your locker room. And so, I mean, I, I think that's a huge part of this team's success is, you know, the players, you know, you get that buy-in from your players when you're willing to do things like that, not just on a, you know, the third preseason game, but in the Super Bowl. I mean, that right. that's big time. Well, and it goes a step further because if you really start thinking about it, Andy Reid is this master play caller. We've always said that he's great at calling plays. He's a great offensive mind. But even he realizes, the, one of the best to ever do it probably, that having somebody else bring another idea that you would have never probably even thought about is going to benefit you because it's going to open up not only that play, but probably two or three others down the road. Yeah, and, and there's no substitute for the, a player's vision in the moment. I mean, yeah. as experienced as Andy Reid is, like the input of guys like Kelsey and Mahomes and whoever else wants to come with them, and you know, from what they see on the field. I mean, think back a year prior to the game against the Bills, you know, and absolutely the sort of drive that they had when Kelsey was just drawing stuff up on the fly. There's no substitute for that because when you're in the moment and you feel not just see, but you feel how somebody's covering you or you see how a defense is responding to what you're doing, you know, what you learn from that and then, you know, tell your coaching staff about, you know, coaches can see stuff certainly from the booth. They can see it from the sidelines. They've lived, you know, coaching on the sidelines. And so they can see some stuff, but there's no substitute from a player's own input. And the the wisdom to sort of take that and use it to help your play calling and to help your offense, it, it's smart. And more coaches should be doing it. I mean, you know, the, the you know, listen to your players. You know, if you're a high school coach, college coach, and you listen to this, and your players come to you with something, listen to them because there's no substitute for the experience that they're living on the field in the moment. Yeah, and the one thing, and I know this isn't really necessarily a Mahomes thing, but I do want to say it because you watch the Super Bowl replays and you watch him be in the huddle at the very end of the game, and 
what is he saying? It's it's church mode, church mode, church mode, church mode. It's getting your players in. I fully expect that from Patrick Mahomes, but you saw Jarek McKinnon knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, that whole team knew I'm not trying to score. And how big is it for a player like McKinnon who didn't have a Super Bowl touchdown to say, I'm going to give up the ability to score a Super Bowl touchdown because I want a Super Bowl victory. Yeah. And to get the whole team to buy in and to understand the thought process and the rules in that situation uh, is fantastic. And that goes back to Reed. That goes back to Mahomes and ever being the leader and making sure that his guys know what's going on at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it also shows, look, let's remember one of the biggest knocks on Reed throughout his entire coaching career, we did it back to Philadelphia, is clock management, right? Yep. Like clock management, timeouts, things like that. But that shows you his growth as well. Like they understand it in the moment. They're like, look, this is what we need to do. Like we don't need to score a touchdown. We need to make sure the last play, the ball is in our hands. Yep. And they did it. And when we get back, we are going to talk about 2023 because there is a lot to talk about uh, with how Mahomes could really adjust and move forward in this offense. All right, Mark. So this is the part of the show that I'm really, I always really enjoy talking to you about because I look at Patrick Mahomes' game and I realize there are a couple of things that he still needs to work on, uh, but it's always been fascinating to me to see what he thinks his weaknesses are. And you end up finding those out during the season because he says, you know, this is something I worked on all off season. What are you expecting him to try to improve going forward in 23? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird because it's such a like balance and act with him because you know, and I remember talking with Matt Wallen when we did our, you know, pre-draft show with him and we talked about like, do you want to change him? Do you want to, you know, be conservative with him and try to get him to dial it back too much? We kind of just came down to the conclusion that no, you kind of just let him be who he is. Let Mahomes be Mahomes. Um, but there, there are still things like pocket management seems to be like the biggest one, like pocket depth staying in the right spot, staying predictable in the pocket, making life a little bit easier on his offensive line. It's it's one of those things with Mahomes that he'd like to work on and he'd like to improve. And I know, you know, his offensive line would like to know exactly or at least have a better idea of where he's going to be in the pocket. But at the same time, his creativity, his athleticism, his ability to sort of move from the spot and create explosive plays, not just good plays, but explosive plays downfield you know, outside the pocket off of structure is still a big part of what he does. And it makes this team so dangerous because you can have all five eligibles covered for three seconds, but it's not going to be enough. And that's hard as that's hard enough to do as it is. But when you've got to cover guys like Kelsey and company four five, six seconds into a down, that's darn near impossible. And, and so, yes, there are times when you'd like to see him, a bit more predictable in the pocket, I guess you could say, you know, on a, a standard drop back play, those first right. three or four seconds, if not bail from the spot so quickly, but you don't want to tell him never to do it because he right. is so creative. He is so explosive that way. It's, it's so, you know, that's something where I know he's always going to be sort of tinkering with, and they're always going to be sort of tinkering with. And at some point in his career, it will be more important because wow. the athleticism, you know, the the quickness and the change of direction ability won't always be there at some point he's going to be a little bit older and so 
doing what he did to the Super Bowl where he's just sort of creating space with his feet and making guys miss a little bit and being more like Brady than Lamar and Kyler is going to be something that he'll need to do. So the more he gets comfortable with that each year, the better it will be for him down the road. Yeah, and depth in pocket is always something I think he struggled with. I mean, there's been times where you look at him being, you know, 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage and there's no way your tackles are going to be able to protect you at that point. You're you're basically begging for a sack. And I agree with you. I think that he he needs to stay true to himself and still be the playmaker that he is and do all those things. But the other side of what you're talking about, about covering somebody for three or four seconds, that's the side of the game that actually Mahomes takes to another level, I think. And not just with Kelsey, but you started to see it at times with Juju last year. And maybe he can get to that point with, you know, MVS and Sky Moore and Tony where they're all on the same page. And when he breaks pocket and he starts moving, they know where to go to find an opening in the defense so they can open up and give him a throwing lane. Yeah, and and I think that's a big question, Chris, for this team generally is who's receiving target number two? You know, and I, I think that's sort of a big question for this team because obviously, look, Kelsey is one. Like, he's tight end in name only. Like, he's one of the game's more dangerous receiving threats. Who's going to be that next player? Is it Tony? Is it MVS? Is it Sky Moore? You know, who's going to be that player when it's third and seven and he's buying time, rolling to his right, and Kelsey's got two or three players shaded in his direction and he can't get the ball to him? Where's Where do his eyes go next? I, I think that's a big part of, you know, what we will be watching, what we'll all be keeping an eye on this year with Kansas City, is who emerges out of that receiver room as that next best threat. Because, again, that, that feel for scramble drill mode, is critical and he had it obviously for years with Tyreek you know he saw it a little bit with Juju last year like you talked about but again if you're a defensive coordinator right now you also know that that's the big question and so until somebody emerges your attention is going to be directed towards 87 Um, and I think another thing that I'm going to be curious about with this team is and this sort of gets to the bigger NFL picture writ large 12 and 13 like, are we going to see more two tight end, three tight end sets? Because, you know, Max Toscano over at, uh, at in the Valley Shook, our, our, our LSU side at SB Nation, he's written a lot about this. We're going to be doing a ton of stuff on it in our NFL preview at SB Nation. Are we going to see it flip back league-wide to more 12, 21, 13 personnel? Because for years now, it's been lighter, faster, you know, Three wide receiver, full wide receiver at times. You know, defense is combating that with light boxes, two or three safety looks, keeping everything in front of them, two deep packages, quarters packages, things like that. Are we finally going to see offense to say, all right, if you're really going to stay like that, we're going 12, we're going 21, we're going 13. And we saw some of that with Kansas City last year. They did a lot of creative yeah. stuff. Vertical passing out of 12 and 13 personnel was something they did really well last year. Is that something we're going to see more of? And if so, is are we in a world where your second receiving threat is another tight end? I don't know if we'll get there with Kansas City, but it might be like that for some teams like the New England Patriots. You know, I know they're trying to get back to 12. And so I think that's something to keep an eye on too. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. And it's funny you mentioned that because that's actually what we talked about on yesterday's show is oh, there you go. How, how much Kansas City used 12 and 13 personnel. And you look at you know what they did last year and how that how they did. I mean, I think they were 12 personnel close to 50% of the time almost. Uh, and they used it a lot. And they didn't use 13 as much as I think they wanted to, but they didn't have the tight ends to do it most of the season. So that's the other question. 
Uh, you know, do they are they going to be able to keep four and be able to feel like they can do 13 personnel? But Kansas City's in a position where you have Travis Kelsey, who you can play as basically a wide receiver, yeah. and you got a guy like Noah Gray that could basically be like an H back and gives you those two guys give you the ability to do different things. And then you have Jody Fortson, you have Blake Bell. You know, Kelsey doesn't have to be on the line. Noah Gray could be on the line. Fortson's more of a wide receiver type as well. So you have different types of weapons at that position uh, where normally if you bring on three tight ends, teams are going to think you're going to be running the ball. In Kansas City, they're more than likely going to be passing. And how are you going to attack it defensively? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the beauty of these bigger personnel packages, particularly when you have players that don't – quite fit just a singular like you know in line tight end role like Kelsey like the other guys that you mentioned because you force the defense to sort of pick their poison like like you said traditionally you see three tight ends you're going to go heavy you probably can't do that you know when you see this group coming out with Kansas City in which case they'll still run the ball if you want to stay light against them they'll still run the ball and you know it, it really makes life tough for a defensive coordinator when you have both the personnel and the the body types and the player types like the Chiefs do when you want to use these multiple tight end packages. But they're guys that are like Kelsey that are sort of tight end in name only or they're more H-back types or more big slot types. It's it's going to make life tough. And it gets back to the discussion from earlier with Reed and their creativity. I mean, you can imagine at some point that tight end room is going to be sitting around watching film. They're like, hey, we could do something like this. They'll go to Andy with it. Before you know it, you're going to see Ren around the Rosie with like five tight ends in the game. And it's going to really sort of make life tough for a defensive coordinator. You know, I kind of joked with Ryan a little bit earlier this offseason. I really wouldn't mind seeing him. And I actually do mean this. I wouldn't mind seeing them being 13 personnel uh, with an extra offensive lineman as well. Yeah, because how I mean, many different things can you do? Because at that point, you have the extra offensive lineman. If you feel like if they're still staying light, running the ball is going to be cake. But that gives you a, a six blocker out there to be able to open up the passing game with the three tight ends you have out there. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some diabolical stuff. I'm sure they will, they will be able to put into the play sheet this year. And I'm pretty excited to watch it. Mark, tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you so much for coming on. It really been a fun time. Always fun, Chris. Always a blast when I get to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Schofield, uh, SB Nation, SBNation.com. Uh, we're working on getting together a huge uh, NFL preview package. Myself, James Dater, J.P. Acosta, Ricky O'Donnell. We're going to have that for you right before the season gets rolling. You can see it all at SBNation.com. Mark, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. And I want to say thank you all to our listeners. We really do appreciate you listening to us. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about Derek, talking about tr training camp. It's finally here. Thank you for listening today, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.